doesn't that rain sound good? I, if you all start to nod off, I, I think Jesus even understands today, you know. That's perfect sleeping weather right there, isn't it? Hey, it is so good to be with you guys. Um, I am always honored and humbled to be able to come up with the St. Albans campus and preach God's Word. And usually when I preach God's Word here, we're preaching our message that we preach across all the campuses at the same time. But uh, uh, Dave being uh, G.I. Dave this week, and um, Tim Yankee wanted to preach a message at the Taze Valley campus. He wanted to bring his own, so Dave asked us all if we could come up with our own message. And Dave called me, and he said, Russ, you think you could come up with your own message? I started laughing. I said, Dave, for 20 years before I even came to uh, Gateway, I preached three messages a week that I had to write myself. You know, I preached twice on Sunday morning at our church uh, at Grandview, and uh, Sunday evening and Wednesday night. You know, we had uh, drug problems down there at that church, and we didn't have recovery ministry. We just saw parents dragging their kids to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. A lot of you all probably grew up that way as well. So I kind of laughed at him. I said, Dave, I'll do my best to come up with a message. But I also kind of joked back at him because usually when I'm up here, it's usually the sermon on tithing, sex, all the tough sermons, and he always usually gives them me, and then he takes off and goes out of town. So I'm excited to be able to bring a message that's on my heart. Many of you all have known um, and heard that we hired a new campus ministry, a uh, new campus minister in Beckley, uh, but at the end of this month, I'll be stepping away from full-time uh, campus minister uh, life here at the church, but I'll still be heavily active in our in church life down in Beckley. I told Dave I'd still come and fill pulpits wherever he needs me, and I'll still be actively involved in the leadership of our church, and I'm excited about the new chapter in my life, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we work ourselves through this message this morning. But here's the point of the message, and it's really simple um, this morning because I'm a simple guy. Um, back in 1994 is when I graduated uh, high school. Now, for all of you trying to figure out how old I am, I'll be 47 in September, and for 26 years, come May, I think, 24th of this month, I'll be uh, ordained as a preaching minister for 26 years. That's what I did for 26 years of my life. And when, when you're preaching God's Word, you know, you're going through the Word and you're studying it and you're trying to see how it applies not only your life but how it applies to everybody else's life, it reminded me back in the 90s about going to the movies now, going to the movies in the 90s was different than going to the movies today because now you can just go home and watch a movie, right? Well, Netflix, whatever uh, whatever you're using to watch your movies at your house. It wasn't that way in the 90s. You wanted to go see a movie, you had to actually go and, you know, pay uh, to go to the movie theater. And I remember when this movie came out, it was 1991, and it was called City Slickers, all right? And, and I went to watch that movie a couple weeks after it came out because it really didn't appeal to me, but everybody's like, you got to go watch this movie. And, and in this movie, you have this guy named Mitch, and he was played by Billy Crystal, and he worked for a radio company in New York City, and he sold advertisement on the air for radio. Now, for kids, you might want to look up what a radio is. You can Google it later when you get home. But that's what he sold was advertisement. And he kind of got stuck in his midlife crisis, if you want to call it that way or not, and uh, his wife decided to pay for him and two of his best friends to go out west and drive cattle, be like a cowboy. Uh, you could pay to do this. And, and they go out there, and they meet this cowboy named Curly, who was played by Jack Palance. Does anybody else remember this movie? 
Well, okay, good. And, and, and I enjoyed the movie, but I remember the scene fondly, like I'm sitting in the movie theater even today watching it, where it's uh, Mitch and Curly. They've been in all kinds of issues because Mitch didn't know how to ride a horse and he doesn't know how to lasso and drive cattle. He's just, they're messing up left and right. Curly's getting frustrated with them. And, but they have this talk, and it's just these two men. And he, Curly tells Mitch, he says, you, you city slickers, you just worry about way too much. You got too many things to worry about. And he said, but once you figure out this one thing, the main thing, he said, everything else will make sense to you. You got too many worries in this world. And that's really what the title of the message is this morning is, it's the main thing. And keeping the main thing the main thing. Now, the 90s, you know, everybody was complaining. They, have you ever talked to anybody, that whatever uh, year they graduated was the best decade ever, you know? People graduated in the 60s, loved it. 70s, loved it. 90s was amazing, folks. I don't care what you say. I can tight roll jeans with the best of them, all right? You don't believe how tight I can get those jeans at the bottom. I can cut off my circulation. That's how tight I can get those. You know, Saved by the Bell was going on, and that day I had hair. I had the Zach Morris haircut, high tops. I mean, I was living in the 90s, and I remember out of all my stuff I want to talk to you, this is the one message I get to preach. It's my own message. I want to talk to you about city slickers. Because it's in that phrase, keeping the main thing has greatly impacted my life. And even though I'm entering another chapter of what my life is going to look like walking with Jesus, see, he understands uh, what I'm talking about as well, that keeping the main thing is the main thing. Even though I'm, I'm starting to walk in a, another path, if you want to say. Now, someone said, so what are you going to be doing? I said, I'll share that with you when I know exactly what God wants me to do. He's got, laying a lot of things on my heart. But here's the one thing I do know. I'm going to keep serving the Lord. I'm going to keep walking with Jesus. And, and honestly, I'm a little bit excited to sit where you sit, uh, where we're sitting right now, because there's something I've always noticed about in ministry for 26 years. When you're paid as a minister, everybody thinks you're there to be there when their babies are born or when they're having surgeries and stuff because you're paid to do it. But now I'll be there, and I'm not paid to do it. I'll be sitting where you're sitting, and I'll be serving in the church. I'll be doing all the things that I've encouraged you to do so long. And now I'm going to be actually doing the things I've asked you all to do. And I'm doing it, not getting paid to do it. It takes away that angle that people say, well, he's only here because of that. Listen, I understand what the main thing is. It's a basic premise. You don't want to be a part of a church where the main thing is Jesus. And here at Gateway, that is the main thing. It's not a real hard answer. But what I want to dig into today is, what was Jesus' main thing? What did he care about the most? And when you open the New Testament scriptures, especially starting in the books of the book of Acts, you're going to see how the early church understood what Jesus told them was to be the main thing. If you have your Bible app or if you have your Bible, you want to open to Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be at this morning. I use Bible Gateway uh, on, for my scripture reading because I can switch versions very easily. But we're in the English Standard Version, and here we are in Acts chapter 2, and we got the first gospel message that's ever been preached about Jesus. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. This same crowd that's hearing Jesus' uh, uh, first message from Peter was probably the same crowd that was there at Passover 
because they would travel back to Jerusalem and they would stay there for at least 50 days, Pentecost 50, uh, Pentecost 50 days basically after Passover. So they've seen and heard all this idea about Jesus' resurrection. And now Peter gets up and delivers the first message about Jesus. The Bible says the people were cut to their heart and they said, brothers, what shall we do? And they responded to him in verse 38, brothers, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and all whom the Lord God will call. And then it goes on a little bit farther to describe, and here's where we pick up the scripture this morning, what the early church looked like. They, it says in verse 42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who and all who believed were together and had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to anyone who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily of those who were being saved. If you flip on over to Acts chapter 4, um, where I... We continue another little snapshot of what the early church looked like. Down in verse 32 and 33, we read these words about the church. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were in one heart and one soul. And they said that any of, they sold, and, and no one said that any of their things belonged to him as his own, but they had everything in common. And with a great power, the apostles continued to give in testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Now, this is a picture of what was going on in the early church. And I think it gives us a snapshot of what the main thing uh, the church was doing. And here we read these four things that we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says the apostles' teachings. This was the essential first thing that was most important to the early church, that the guys who were with Jesus were going around telling others who Jesus was, talking about his life, his ministry, his teachings. And, you know, when you think about it, what we're trying to do on the last Sunday of every month of this year is do foundations. And we're trying to get to the foundational truths of what it means to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, we're following in the footsteps of the early church, trying to keep the main thing the main thing, the apostles' teachings, the foundational issues that we're dealing with in our culture that seems to be running farther and farther away from God. Well, not only were they doing the foundational teachings of God, they were also breaking bread. And breaking bread, if you want to think of it in terms of this way, is worship. It was an essential core belief of the early church that they would come around the Lord's table and remember the sacrifices of Jesus. That was their essence of really what worship was. I, I think it's evident. It was a priority for them to be there because the Apostle Paul says in Acts 20, verse 7, that as he was traveling through, he made it a, a point of emphasis to be on there on the first day of the week with the Christians that met at Troas. And he said the reason he wanted to be there was to break bread. Now listen, a lot of people choose a church because of worship style, what songs they're singing, do they like the preacher, does he tell good jokes, 
Does he have a great haircut? Stuff like this seems to matter to a lot of people. How good their children's ministries are, their student ministries are, how good are their groups. And ultimately, no one will ever admit this, but the reason that people like churches is their food, all right? Just ask any good Baptist, and they'll let you know that this is a core belief of the early church. But in those things, and all those elements I'm discussing, there was a common element that was a part of what the early church was. In order for the church to remember how much Jesus had done for them, they made it a priority to meet around the table. And listen, we're coming into the summer months, and I know many of you will be traveling. Do, go on vacation, go to the beach. Let them take all your money at Disney World. All that stuff you guys need to do, do. But when you're going on vacation, don't forget the Lord. I'm not giving you advice. I'm not going to take myself. Even if we go someplace and we can't find a church to worship, we will have worship. We can find grape juice. You can find a piece of bread. You can remember the Lord and how much he loves you. You can do that. Make that an essential part of who you are. This was one of the priorities of the early church. And not only do you have the apostles teaching and the breaking of bread, but you have this word fellowship. And when I think of the word fellowship, I think of groups here at Gateway. And our groups are really the larger church breaking down into smaller groups of individuals that you can share life with. You can share your struggles and your joys and all that stuff with each other. And when you think of the word fellowship, my, uh, this was my first introduction to church. My buddy in uh, sixth grade invited me to Gabar. I said, dude, we're in sixth grade. We can't go to the bar. We can't get any fake IDs that would make us look like we're old enough to get into a bar. You don't have any facial hair, and I've got one. We're not getting into a bar. He said, dude, it's the name of my church youth group. And I said, well, why don't you just tell me that? It was the, the word kabar in the Old Testament is the word for fellowship, and then the word in the New Testament is koinonia. So the junior high student ministries at Greenwood Christian Church was named kabar, and the uh, high school student ministries was named Koinonia. Again, when you're outside the church, none of those words mean anything to you. But really what the essential elements of those groups were, and I remember salt groups, sharing and learning together. That's what we call them. And it was an opportunity for kids to get together at one of our youth sponsors' house, and we would have food, we would talk, we would fellowship, we would do all these things. And this was an essential element of the early church. And I tell you, your group is only going to be as good as your food. You want to have a bad group, serve crackers and cheese, all right? You want a good group, get a lot of soups, carbs, ice cream, people will come, all right? But my point is is this. Have you ever noticed in the teachings of Jesus why food and sitting down was so important? Some of the most essential, biggest topics that Jesus talked about are when people are gathered eating. Because what happens when you gather and eat, you relax. You can share with one another. It happens. In fact, when the Lord's Supper was instituted, they did it during the Passover meal. Jesus' first miracle, changing water to wine, took place at a wedding celebration where they were eating. It's over and over again, there's some important teachings like when Levi, who becomes Matthew, the tax collector, he invites all of his friends to his house to have a meeting and a meal so they can hear Jesus. You know what's under attack in our culture? How many families today actually can sit down and say they're going to have a meal together without any phones, without any distractions, without any television, without any of this stuff? 
How many families anymore can sit down in a week, not even every day, to sit down and relax and enjoy a meal together? I believe that's one of the things that we're greatly missing in our culture and in our society. And then the fourth thing that was essential to the early church was prayer. And, and I'm not just talking about prayer requests. Here's something I, I find great about our new campus minister in Beckley, Josh. Josh interned underneath me when I was the preaching minister at Grandview Christian Church. So I've known Josh since he was 20 years old. He went to Johnson Bible College, and I've followed him in his ministry. But the thing I love about Josh is he a, he's a praying man. And listen to me, church. We've become a church and a movement of prayer request, not a church of prayer. And, and I believe that the fundamental thing that you'll notice if you read the Old Testament, all right, after the, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, after you get past the first five books, you get what is called the history of Israel. And it's a period of 700 years. And you'll watch this people of God be faithful to God and He blesses. They forget the Lord and what He's done for them. They reject the Lord. He brings upon judgment and punishment to them. They repent, and then they come back to the Lord. It happens over and over again in a period of 700 years. There, I just gave you the whole Old Testament. You don't have to read it. You're good to go. You just got the cliff notes. But what I'm trying to tell you this morning is we as a nation, I believe, under God, <laughs> indivisible, liberty and justice for all, right? That's what we believe in. As a nation, we are in a moral decay. And if we really want God and to bless our country and our nation again, we're going to need to become a nation, not a prayer request, but a prayer. And one of the things that Josh and myself do when somebody comes up to me and says, hey, will you pray for me or will you pray, have prayer for my, my sister or my mom or my dad or will you pray? We, both of us, will stop what we're doing and say, hey, let's go and pray about it right now. Because it's not just a prayer request, it's important. I believe if more of Christians would get involved in the actual meeting of God and getting on their knees and praying, that we have chance for repentance to come back to the Lord God. I just am fool enough and believe in the power of prayer. Because I'm telling you, in the book of Acts, you'll see Peter and John get put, arrested and put in prison for preaching about Jesus. And you know what the church does that at the very moment they're put in prison? They get together for a prayer meeting, and they start praying. And you know what God does? He releases John and Peter from prison. Now, is that coincidental, or is it showing and teaching the church the importance of prayer? There was only one thing that the disciples ever asked Jesus of. Check me on this. Google me on this. Fact check me. Promise you I'm right on this. They only asked Jesus one thing. Lord, teach us to pray. Because they were so impressed by how he prayed. And they said, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray and how to pray. And what, they, what you see is what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model of prayer that he teaches them. But they noticed something different about Jesus. He not only spoke differently and taught differently than the religious leaders, guess what? He prayed differently. And I believe that's what is so essential and is missing in our society. Because as bad as things are, I haven't seen us as a nation get ready to come to prayer. What I see us doing is joining social media and 
preaching and telling everybody about the condemnation and the judgment that's coming from God, but I don't see a whole lot of churches calling their people together for prayer. That's just me and call me crazy. But I am a firm believer that this was essential for the early church. Now, if I may, just for a moment, talk to you about one more thing about the church that I've noticed. The Bible describes the church in two words, and I'm going to discuss the first one. The first one is the church is the bride of Christ. And when I think of bride, I think of priority. On May 25th of this year, 26, 20, 1997, got to do math, 26 years, I asked this gal named Tanya to be my wife. And I have done my very best some days <laughs> to make her a priority. But I want you to pull out your phones. You're allowed to have them in church. We won't let you do this. There's this thing when you go to my search thing, you type in the word Google. I don't know. Do you guys got Google on your phone? Maybe I'm the only one that's got it. I'm just trying to, maybe I'm just cool like that. And type in this phrase, how often do people go to worship? Just type in that phrase. How often do people go to worship? And you can go down about, I don't know, mine's about seven or eight down on my phone. It depends on uh, your search history, how far, how quick you'll find this uh, statistic. But it's S uh, T A T I S T A, Statista, and it says church attendance of Americans in 2022, published March 29th of this year. If you click on that article, it will tell you just quickly when you go down here. It will tell you the number of Americans that attend church every week. You know what the number is? 20%. It was 28% the year before. We have got to a point in our culture that we feel like I can be a Christian, but I don't need the Lord's church. I don't know about you all, but I don't like it when people talk about my bride. <laughs> I get a little protective of my bride. And if I was going to only be a husband 20% of the time to Tanya, I don't think we would have a very strong marriage. Anyone else agree with me on that? Listen, my wife is a principal now, not an assistant principal, but the principal now of an elementary school in Raleigh County. And I tell you, I stay in trouble all the time. I've never been to the principal's office in my entire life until three months ago when she became a principal. And there are days that she is stressed out and maxed out, but I figured out something. If I take the principal out once a week for dinner where she doesn't have to worry about cooking, I'll cook, I do the dishes. The thing is, living with the principal is not too bad. If I take her out once a week, I go even one step farther. I kind of test the waters. I call her around 3.30 in the afternoon, hey, how's your day? And if I hear that it wasn't going well with the principal, then I take this next step and say, hey, what can I do for you when you get home? And you know what I'm doing and showing my wife? It's not just self-preservation. I'm trying to help the children out too so she doesn't kill them as well. 
But you know what I'm showing her? She is a, guess what the word is, priority. She's a priority. Is the church making Jesus a priority? It's my question. It's not an accusation. And here's the cool thing. When I no longer get a paycheck from Gateway, which I'm, I hope it finishes as they told me it would, but hope after this sermon I don't get cut out quicker than I should. I'm just kidding. Then people can look at our life and say, hey, the church is a priority, not just because they got a paycheck. You know, you all don't always understand that. But it is a constant battle in ministry that everybody thinks because you're a minister or a preacher, you got an angle. Listen, I'm not after your checkbook. Jesus is after your heart. It's my job to try to help you and him get there. And, and, and what I'm saying here is, listen, the Lord's church needs to be a priority for his bride. We are the ones that need to be ready. Over and over again, the gospel message of Jesus, he says he's going to come uh, as the bridegroom to come and get the bride. The bride better be ready. <laughs> he tells us over and over in the gospels uh, and, and in the New Testament letters that he describes his church as the bride and he's the bridegroom. He is making us a priority. What more does he have to show us how much of a priority the Lord's church is by other than going to the cross and dying for his church on the cross of Calvary. And you know what he's coming back for, friends? His bride. He's coming back for his bride. The bride better make Jesus a priority. That's all I'm saying. And now the other B word that, G, that the New Testament uses to describe the Lord's church is body. It's a body. And when I think of body, I think of the word function. Because, you know, some of you said, what have you done to lose all this weight? Well, I'm married to a principal. There's no food at the house. No, I'm just kidding. Dude, now I'm no longer making her a priority. I'm in trouble now. But listen, I've watched my body go through some changes in the last year. And I feel better. I was carrying around a 60-pound, 60 60-plus-pound 60 backpack. My knees feel better. Um. Whatever I've been doing, and we can talk about it, but I, it didn't help this. This didn't grow back. But I've had to buy new britches. <laughs> I've had to buy new outfits. I feel a little bit better at myself. I'm still not bikini ready, uh, summer weather ready, but, you know, I'm getting close. But my point is, is that I've watched my own physical body function better. And I'm afraid that the church in America is not functioning very well. And we're not functioning very well because we're not taking the time and effort to see really what our part is. For over 26 years of my life, I felt like my part was to get up on Sunday mornings and deliver a message. I no longer feel the Lord is calling me to do that. I will still continue to preach and teach. But I feel like the Lord is calling me maybe in a different area where I see that the church can help function a little bit better in our society. You know, I've told you this before, my wife and I were foster parents for over four and a half years. We had over 24 children in our home in that period of time. I still feel like God has that burden and placed those 
as, as I just talked to the, dep- uh, the commissioner over the CPS in the state on this past Thursday, that there's 6,200 children in the state of West Virginia in foster care as we speak. Of those 6,200 kids right now in Raleigh County and Mercer County, there are adults who are sitting with children in hotel rooms because they can't find placement for these children into homes. I believe the church can function a little bit better in helping this situation. I don't know exactly what it looks like. I'm still working out the details of it, and the Lord's still leading, but He is stirring in my heart for not only these children, but also for the parents. And some of our parents we have in our gateway recovery home because I'm silly enough to believe that God can change people's lives. He can take people who struggle with certain addictions and be able to transform them by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit into a person who's well and able to provide and reunite with their families. That's what I want to be about. And helping that process when parents get their kids back. Because the crazy thing I'm here to tell you is, is one of the greatest issues that they have when they have people go through programs to get well and healthy and their children have either been in kinship foster care or they've been in a placement home of of another foster home that when these families reunite within 60 to 90 days these children are being removed from the home again we've got to do better and that's an awesome place for the church to come along people who are trying to make uh, good decisions and are trying to keep jobs and are trying to raise their children because they haven't had somebody in their life that has been clean and sober to show them how to love God and love their families and provide for their families and do it the right way. And that's an awesome opportunity for the church to get in on the front lines where we say that people matter. So I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I know that God is tugging on my heart in that capacity. Because I believe, and I'm foolish enough to believe, in the gospel has the power to change people's lives. Because you know what? It changed my life. And knowing Jesus and being a part of a church that kept the main thing the main thing, the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and prayer, and that's all been modeled into me, and I see it living throughout my children because I believe that we need to generationally stop the generational sin that's occurring in the area when it comes to this problem of foster care. The last verse I want to share with you as I wrap this up tells us in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now we know, we know what this passage is saying. It's a parable telling that when a man found the most important thing in a field, He covered up, and he went and sold everything he had so he could buy that field. You know what this is a parable of? It's a parable of a man finding the main thing. And that's where I'm at in my life and walk with Jesus. The main thing is always going to be Jesus. If you don't think that he's the main thing here, you don't know Gateway. Because every group, 
every worship set, every song that we sing, every time we prepare communion, every person that works as a door greeter today. And if somebody really loved Jesus, they have been out in the parking lot welcoming you with an umbrella today. But I just, I'm just saying any person who does anything here at the church is all trying to point you to guess where? Jesus. My question is, are the people who understand and the people who know Jesus, do they understand how much Jesus is pointing to them? That's what the church is all about. And church, we have to make him the priority, and we have to function in a way that we are seeking and saving those he came to save. We can't just be a holy huddle. We can't just be a group that comes and fellowships and eats well. We've got to be the people who are on the front lines, reaching and teaching and preaching and loving people to Jesus. I'm glad to be a part of Gateway. I'm so thankful to be a part of it, and we'll continue to be a part of it in Beckley, St. Albans, Taze Valley, Marmette, Haiti, and wherever God is going to lead us to be a, a voice for him. But church, I beg you, I plead with you. I got to write my own message and preach it to you. Understand how much Jesus loves this church, and understand how much he loves you because you are the church. And I just want to encourage you this morning, as we get ready to wrap all this up and sing a song, if you don't have Jesus as your priority, make him your priority. If you need to rededicate your life to him, rededicate your life to him. If you need to accept him for the first time, accept him for the first time. Whatever you need to do to when you walk out of here, you have no doubt in your mind how much God loves you and how much you love God. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you so much. Oh, how you love us. Father, you have shown us a way to love you. It's so beautiful when we read in the book of Acts. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They had unity. They didn't have uniformity. Not everybody was the same, but they were unified in what their purpose and what their mission was. And the Bible says the Lord was adding daily to those who were being saved because they committed to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and the prayer. And God, right now in my prayer, I just pray that the very essence of what makes this church, what makes it tick, what makes it a living, breathing extension of Jesus, God would be the priority of these people's lives. That we would keep the main thing the main thing. Until you call us home, until you come to get us. This is my prayer in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship.